And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Huh. Um, and I would eat it in that regard. But if I'm being a, a serious movie critic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably yeah. have to <laughs> have to give it a seven. Yeah, because that, that's what we are. That's yeah. what we <laughs> <laughs> I was trying so hard to, <laughs> to maintain the illusion. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Is It A Bicycle, Season 12, Episode 22, the original and best as ever TV and movie podcast. My name is Stephen Wrigley and I'll be your host for this evening. Uh, this week we don't have a man, unlike <laughs> McDonough, because he's got to tell us. Anyway, no, sorry about that. Um, this week we have a lady who uh, doesn't play hard to guess. She plays hard to endure. It's on a show show of clarity. And in the red corner, it's our goodly killer, a man who tells us that the average man swallows eight Spider-Man reboots in his sleep. It's Mark Superhero Leonard. This week we'll be discussing some movies in the shape, or a movie in the shape of Lucas, and some TV in the form of Swedish Dicks and Comrade Detective. Yeah, so yeah. speaking of other stuff, speaking of, yeah, other, yeah. speaking of other stuff, I've been doing the ketogenic diet for a while now. I don't think I've given you guys an update recently. I think now is the time. All right, how's it going, Mark? It's going good. I've lost 11 kilos in Holy a little over eight weeks. Shit. Wow. And my strength has held remarkably well, which oh, is which is a bit of a trick. Like, no, no, I don't want anyone to get excited. I'm still as not strong as I was when I started, but I'm no less not strong than I was. <laughs> and uh, yesterday, well, from lunchtime this morning until the previous lunchtime, I did my first 24-hour fast. Oh, my God. Which, when you're fat adapted, you can just do. Really? Yeah. How come? Yeah, you can. So um, the way it went was we kind of had a busy night in the house yesterday and we had a six-year-old landed down to us at about quarter to ten explaining that he couldn't sleep because the dimensions of his room were much bigger than he was used to. Now, <laughs> bear in mind, he sleeps in that room all the time. And um, then his one-year-older sibling abby came down telling us that she in fact did not have the ability to go to sleep it was simply impossible <laughs> and that that kerfuffle which was happening right after we'd put everybody else to bed and before we had a chance to cook our dinner that carried on for a while so much so that at the end it was just time for donna to go and pick up taylor who was across town rehearsing phantom of the opera so then when donna got back it was like it was late it was like half ten quarter eleven and I kind of said, God, I'm, I'm really not arsed cooking dinner. Like, and Donna just goes, well, you know what? I'm not hungry either. We just skip it. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, you know what? We could like, no, bear in mind, we hadn't eaten since lunchtime. We'd had three eggs each at lunch and we don't do breakfast. We, we intermittent fast until lunchtime. So uh, I said, yeah, actually, I'm not that hungry either. Let's, let's give it a shot. So when I get up the following day, I said, you know what? I actually feel okay. I think I'm going to make this a 24-hour fast. So I didn't take any cream in my coffee or any calories at all. And I kept going until lunchtime today. Well, okay. Yeah. That sounds kind of somewhere between incredible and crazy. Yeah, well, it, like, it does seem a bit crazy. But like, it, it'd be crazy if I was starving and really weak and right. couldn't do anything. Yeah. But I, I, did, I had a very productive morning. Like, it, it's... Like coffee helps for sure because it kills your appetite a bit and it gives you a bit of energy. But I think even without coffee, I probably would have been okay. So I, it does sound crazy to just randomly decide to not eat for 24 hours. But when there's no great big loss on you, to use the Irish expression, 
you know, you can just do it. No, I wouldn't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, every now and again, it's wow. definitely worthwhile. And are you doing like the 16-8 um, fasting like a few times a week? No, we're we're just intermittent fasting until lunch. So whatever time you have your dinner in the evening, it'll vary between like, it could be 7 o'clock, it could be right. 9 or 10 o'clock, and then we just don't eat again until lunchtime. Okay. Because I have a friend of mine who's not eating between, is it 8 p.m. and 12 noon. So she's doing... Is it 16 hours? Yeah, that's serious. Whatever it is, yeah. But she's only doing it, I think, twice a week. She's not doing keto or anything. It's just the intermittent fasting. Yeah, I, I, I was doing intermittent fasting for a while as well when I was taking carbs. And it's it's fine. Like It, it, it definitely helps because like if you're taking reduced amount of calories across the day and then you take out like 11 hours out of your eating phase, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're having giant meals and feeling like you're eating like a king, you know? Yeah. Whereas if you spread that across a full day, there'd be tiny meals and you'd feel very sad all the time. <laughs> so it's definitely not the atrophy diet you're doing there, no. The Atkins diet. Atrophy. Atrophy. Are you saying that I'm losing muscle? Yeah, well, just no. I'm, gonna, I'm just kidding, really. Uh, just that last one that you said there. The uh, the description sounds very atrophic, if that's a word. Where you're. Muscle turns to fat. Yeah, where you start burning that instead of fat. Oh, no. No, no. Um, so, well, okay. Look, at I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing the kind of biological tests on I my body to be sure. But so the, the idea is that you take carbs out of your menu entirely and your body starts to pull energy from fat. So you make ketones in the liver instead of glycogen in the liver. And your body just runs on a different fuel. Um, And that means that after a while of doing this, and I'm doing it for two and a bit months now, your body doesn't care whether the fat is on your plate or in your body. It'll just burn it. So then when you do something like a random 24-hour fast, there's much less risk that the body decides to cannibalize itself to keep going. It'll just go, well, I guess there's very little fat in my plate today. I'll just pull it from the body. That's the theory anyway. So, yeah. Oh, fair play to you, Mark. Yeah, like it wasn't a planned 24 hour fast, but I could do one again. Like we've got 20 days or so before going on holidays and winding up on a beach. So, because yeah. like it's hard to know how um, your body's going to react to eating again after a fast so like i weighed myself this morning i was way down but i was expecting that and i wasn't getting too excited because there's no food in me you know right um but i'll weigh myself tomorrow morning now and see if i've actually lost more than i would have otherwise and if i do then i might just plan and do a 24-hour fast maybe next week or something wow okay whereas my daughter turned two last week and we had her party on saturday and she got a chest infection on, uh, well, like last week she got one and she went into crash sounding like Batman last week. Like she'd be like, Tiger says roar. And you're like, oh, okay, you sound pretty sick. So she was put on steroids at the end of the week. And if you've ever seen a toddler throw a tantrum on roid rage <laughs> <laughs> at her birthday party, it's something I would recommend maybe trying to avoid again in the future. So I have been, um, 
comfort eating the rest of her birthday cake, which is now finally done. So I'm at the other end of the spectrum from you, Mark. I couldn't be further away in eating habits <laughs> <laughs> than how I've been eating the last week. But there's been a lot of chocolate cake, and we have given cake to everybody that we know. So, um, yeah, at least the cake is done now. And so is the roid rage. We're back into normal toddler tantrums. So why don't we dive into our first TV show, Comrade Detective? Wait, what about things we've seen? Oh, we could do that also. <laughs> is there something that you've seen that you think is important? <laughs> I Talk just, to me. I literally just finished watching the um, Irish women's opener match in the Women's World Cup rugby. Because Ireland's hosting it this year. Um, it kicked off today. Well, we had the opening ceremonies um over the weekend, but today was Ireland's first match, so the women just finished beating Australia. And is that was that a, a likely result? I don't know. It's tough to say. Like, I suppose unlike the men's team, the women's teams wouldn't get a chance to play each other as much, and obviously, like, it wouldn't be professional. So it's I think harder to gauge how teams might come out. Um, Ireland's got a strong history in terms of, um, you know, their match record. We've been Grand Slam champions in the Six Nations before, but uh, you know, I I wouldn't know when we last played Australia. Um, but anyways, we beat them nineteen to seventeen, which was um, it was a tough result. I think the match was hard fought, even though we were ahead for most of the game. It still felt like we were the underdog because I think we were making really clumsy mistakes in terms of ball handling and unforced errors. Um, I think only for the fact that the kicker on Australia's team lost them a few critical points um, did we manage to, to stay ahead and keep keep it. So, anyways. So, are you saying that Irish women aren't great at ball handling? <laughs> Not on the rugby team, it seems, no. But listen, we come through when we need to. Just, and just don't question the it. Grand, the Grand Slam is a wrestling event. How how is um how is that worked in <laughs> well, here? Well, also Irish rugby players are fantastic at wrestling, so we just win that Grand Slam. Yeah. <laughs> we just win at everything. You, you play a game of rugby and you win loads of titles. It's how it works. Well, you, you've started us talking about sports, so I may as well take the baton and run. I think you should. Um, you know that Usain Bolt's last yes. race was meant to, was today. Oh, was it? Today? Oh, the two hundred meter. I suppose was his second last race. Was it? Yeah. Okay, I saw that one. I didn't know he was supposed to be racing today. So he came third. Did he? Yeah. Ooh, how anticlimactic! I know. So the fastest man in the world in his last race was not, in fact, the fastest man in the uh, world. So he retired um, just a little bit too late. He left it one race too long. It seems, yeah. Ooh. So I'm sure that was a little bit disappointing, but maybe maybe it was fitting. Like maybe that is how you pass the torch. Yeah, you just um, got to show that you're over the crescendo and that you are leaving the party at the right time. Yeah, he'd be walking off going, I could have won it, lads, but look, there's no point. There's no point. <laughs> it's like he's, he's, it, it's the equivalent to leaving. Like he's not leaving at dawn when everyone is drunk and passed out and the party's been over for hours. <laughs> he's leaving at like 2 a.m. when like the drunken stripper has already shown up and snorted cocaine off of everyone's belly button, but <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody's unconscious yet. That's a Shona party, everybody. That's what Shona does at her parties. Um, go big or go you might, home. You might remember uh, the American football reality TV we talked about last year, Last Chance You. Of course I did. So I've started watching season two, which dropped on Netflix there recently. And how is it? How did you feel it's, about season one? Recap your feelings for us. Season one, I didn't 
spoil last year because it was a spoiler, but I'm going to now. So if you if you're planning on watching season one of Last Chance, you now is your time to turn turn Go off. Go make a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, fair fair warned be. So in in the first season they don't win the championship, mm-hmm. and the main reason is because they have there's this fracas at the end of one of their games, and it winds up getting them disqualified more or less. Right. So. It was very anticlimactic and they had obviously decided to film this documentary because these guys were going to break a record for the number of consecutive titles and then they didn't. And uh, they were on this incredibly long, unbroken winning streak and that came to an end. And it was just, it was very much an anticlimax. No, it was good. It was good TV. Mm-hmm. Like everything else about the documentary was good. Yeah. So, so in this this season now, actually, because of the way the last one ended, is actually more interesting. Oh. Because n- now they're trying to recover from the ashes of the previous season. Right. And the first episode, all of the players that were involved in their last game are still banned. Okay. So they're, fi- so they're fielding a very substandard, substrength team right. against a decent team in the league. And it's one of the more, it's probably the most exciting game I've seen in Last Chance U yet, including season one. Wow. So... So it's it's good. It's good. And um I like I like the characters that are in it. And we know like we know Buddy. Buddy who's the coach has had a long hard look at himself obviously in season one and decided to make some changes. Okay. And uh and that's interesting and like changes to himself or changes to his management style? I think all of it, because okay. he completely lost the rag in the game where things went yeah. off. And I think he saw a side of himself he probably wouldn't have been too eager to admit to. Okay. So he, and he's decided that he curses too much. So he's trying to stop cursing <laughs> as much. But no, it seems interesting. I'm three episodes in, I'm enjoying it. I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm going to, I'm going to get to it. Like, I, there's no rush with it. Right. You know, it's, it's not that kind of show. But when the games, once the games get on, it's it's very hard to turn away. But like that happens. It's much like the way I watch the Ultimate Fighter. Like the, the bit at the start that motivates the match yeah. is so-so. Then you get into the game and it's like, oh my God, I can't turn away. <laughs> Which, uh, um, I recommend it. Last Chance you was good. Okay. Let, you'll have to let us know when you finish the season what your what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. So, mm-hmm. Shona, you've been delinquent and updating the list with anything else that you've watched. Well, Does that mean I, that that's it? I haven't watched a whole lot of TV just because of aforementioned... Uh, toddler's birthday party and also toddler roid rage um, it's taken up a lot of my time <laughs> but um, in my spare time I have seen um, House of Cards season whatever we're in now um, but I'm I'm, I, I'm not watching it as quickly as I would have expected I mean this new season however long it's been out has been out for a while and um, I'm finding it really slow going. Like it's a show that in season one and maybe even season two, I would have classified as some of the best television out there, you know. Um, but this season I find, I don't know, I just don't care a lot. And there's a lot of, I don't know, the show's dragging its feet a lot. So I'm I'm kind of watching a bit of House of Cards when I can get to it. Um, I'm filling time with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race these days, which I'm enjoying. <laughs> Um, yeah. RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. What is that? I brought it up a few weeks ago. Um, I don't think you were around. And Mike seemed to think that it meant that it was drag queens doing drag racing. 
<laughs> which it is not. Uh, Seems mildly appropriate. <laughs> it's just drag queens uh, competing in a competition for drag queens, and it's hosted by RuPaul. Oh, I was here. Yeah, yes. I was here for this. Yeah, yes. I remember. Um, so, yeah, I've just been watching a bit of that. And then a lot of CBeebies. Uh, you know, we have Bing. You've got <laughs> your uh, In the Night Garden, uh, some Hey Dougie. Right, so you've been, you've been placating the child with a lot of TV. <laughs> has to be done. Well, you know when they're sick and there's just no making them happy. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, needs must. So, I haven't watched a whole lot of grown-up TV this week, to be honest. Yeah, well, um, I can prop you up a little bit. I watched a movie called Snatched at the weekend. Okay. Which stars Goldie Hawn and Amy Schumer. Yes, I remember they're, that coming out and them doing the press for it. They're playing mother-daughter in this. Amy Schumer gets dumped by her boyfriend right. just before she goes on this amazing trip to Central America. Mm-hmm. She decides that rather than go on her own, she's going to bring her mother and her mother is going to rediscover her youth. No sooner do they get there than they're kidnapped. Ah, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> I know, and it kind of, and the story goes from there. And you know what? It's 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 actually really funny. Like there was there was parts of it where I just broke down laughing. It was so funny. Okay. Um, the plot is way for thin, but right. I didn't I didn't mind that because it flowed very well. The timing was good. There was no great long gaps without something happening, and the laugh. The laugh per minute count was pretty good too. Okay. And who and the, would you say that like Amy Schumer or Goldie Hawn stuck out as the comedic uh, linchpin of the show? Oh, Goldie Hawn wasn't funny at all. No? And she didn't even look like herself. She said so much work done. Yeah, she has. But the, the best thing about them was they didn't, they didn't overreach. They didn't try to be more than just as comedy, a girl comedy, I guess, or a, a girl duo comedy. Right. Um, Like the... There wasn't any risk of it being preachy, preachy at any stage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if if we were doing a full review on it, I would probably give it. I think a six out of ten is fair. Okay. It's not like it's not going to appear in the bikey list or anything, but it, it's um it is a good movie, and I laughed about watching it. So okay, so like it would pass my airport litmus test. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you'd, you'd, this would be a good one to watch on a plane, actually. Yeah. Because because it it just passes. The time very very quickly, like nice. And would you, is it? Have you seen much of Amy Schumer's other stuff? I like Amy Schumer. Yeah. Okay. Not not as much as you do. Was it you that put Trainwreck into the bikies? I can't remember anything beyond this morning and the five coffees I had. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I do like her. I I like most of her stuff. I like her stand up as well. Yeah. I would be a fan. She's got um, good comedic timing, I think. Like she doesn't oversell it, you know, when she's got her punchline. It's I don't know. I she think is quite I like droll. Like I, I like her style. I, I definitely like her style. Mm. I'm a bit worried about Goldie Hawn though, and like whenever she approaches naked flames, <laughs> she might melt. But uh, uh, it went okay. Mm. So, in addition to the Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect Two drinking games, I have tried another. Oh, do tell. The f- the Phantom of the Opera drinking game. Okay. <laughs> what does this drinking game entail? Well, you drink whenever anyone sings. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you did that, you'd have alcohol poisoning. <laughs> you, you drink die. whenever anyone sings The Phantom of the Opera okay. or Christine. Okay. And if Christine and Raoul have a, du- a duet, right. you drink. Okay. If The Phantom and Christine have a duet, you drink twice. Okay. If anyone sings in harmony, you drink 
if there is a choral harmony, you drink twice. Oh my God. So pretty and much people open their mouth and you're just drinking that. There was, a, there was a lot of drinking to the point where we kind of went, let's just drink normally from here on in. Because <laughs> I've never actually seen The Phantom of the Opera. I know the music. <gasps> no. It's the first musical I ever saw. I love it so much. Yeah, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a lover of it now as well, definitely. Like I, the, the, the songs that you know, like mm. um, Phantom of the Opera and um, All I Ask and, and those, all the good ones that oh, you would know in me. general. Just from pop culture. Yeah. I knew those, but there's some other great songs in there too. Mm-hmm. So like D- Donna's eldest girl, Taylor, is in it mm-hmm. in a youth production with some of the scariest, scariestly talented, scarily talented young people really? that you ever meet. And they do it like a kind of to let these people know what it's like to be on Broadway. So it's really intense. It's like three weeks prep, then you're on stage or four weeks prep. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's like nine to five every day and... It's like a job, you know, but she's loving it and we're going to see it on Saturday night. So I said, I better get my shit together and watch this thing so I know what I'm going into. (laughs) But uh, the drinking game turned out to be a completely (laughs) bad idea. Yeah, terrible, terrible idea. But but, we we stayed watching it all the way through. So it was all good. So like, what did you end up watching then? Because they haven't made like a motion, major motion picture out of it, have they? Or did you just watch clips on YouTube of... Well, like any, anyone looking at the list would see the exact version that I watched because I put that in the notes. <laughs> but why don't you just leave that kind of continuity to me All right, in, in Steve's absence? Well, you're the so we watched the, the Royal Albert Hall okay. version from 2011 okay. where they did a global broadcast. So you could have watched it in certain theatres, like Century Cinemas and Letterkenny was one of them. Okay. You could have watched that um, in a big screen, you know. Um. And I think that's probably all of the TV for this week, I think. So maybe we'll roll from that into our first TV, which is Comrade Detective. And I'm really sorry that I put this on the list <laughs> because it's the weirdest TV show I've watched in a while. So my understanding is that Comrade Detective is almost like found footage no, not found footage, not like a handy cam that you find after someone's been murdered, right? Right. It's like this TV show that was made, then forgotten about. Then someone came along and blew the dust off and said, why don't we release this? Only now that it's 20 years later, let's dub it with modern day actors and make it really ironic. So it was a TV show um, from the Eastern Bloc, which was a propaganda piece against the US. Okay. And the U.S. are like very much the bad guys in this, and they mock them ceaselessly. But it's dubbed by a whole bunch of American actors like Channing Tatum and uh, no yeah, there's a, there's a fairly famous cast, and I'll, I'll put it up here while I'm talking. But it's it's like the most uh, Channing Tatum, Joseph Gordon Lovett, um, and a bunch of other guys that you'd probably recognize. Jake Johnson, um, and there's other people in it, but it's 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 so funny, right? Because so there's wait, the jokes against there's anti-American jokes the whole time. Right? They're talking about a communist era that everyone kind of not derides because it's very serious for a very long time, but it's mm-hmm. so very serious. Like they call each other comrade, and they are super serious about things that are plainly ironic. And on top of that, you have all the old detective tropes 
Right. Like the, you know, like the, the partner relationship and trying to get revenge on the bad guys. And it's just, it's, it's very funny, but it's weird as, as hell. So these actors are acting in the TV show, but it's just kind of... Seriously, yeah. Okay. So it's not overdubbed by them. No. So the actors who are acting in the TV show are from... Where was it set? It's, it's not Russia. It's another Eastern Bloc country that probably isn't even in the Eastern Bloc anymore. But uh, they're, they're like actors and actresses of, of the time. Okay. Um. Now. Say what country? The face value. Channing Tatum. They could easily have just made it now and pretended. <laughs> so, assuming that they're t- Romania. It's Romania, made in the 1980s in Romania, featuring what looks like um, bona fide Romanians from the 1980s wearing 1980s clothes, driving those cars Okay. in what looks like a 1980s era. And uh, oh, <laughs> like I the bag, see. the bag guy that they're looking for in this one is of course an American and he was wearing jeans, a particular brand of jeans that neither the Romanians guys knew anything about. Okay. So they had to have somebody show them what that was, for example. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's funny. It's, it is funny, but it's, it's weird. It was too weird for me to be honest. And yeah, it sounds maybe like a I, really conceptual sell. Yeah, and I think maybe I don't know enough about communism to get all of the jokes that were being dropped. That's very possible. But I don't think that that's enough staying power for me anyway. Yeah. And the story itself, because it's so pretend serious, like it seems like the, if the dialogue is accurate to what the people are saying in Romanian, then, oh, my God, were they taking it seriously. But because it was the 80s and we're so far past that now, you would never see a TV show being made like that. Right. Like, for starters, it isn't a mixed-gender duo, and neither of them has a special ability. Uh-oh, they're in trouble so that right TV away. Show, that TV show would never be made nowadays. <laughs> it's two lads, you know, and uh, it's very much in the style of the grizzled veteran and the young rookie cop. And uh, how they're going to, you know, their initial discomfort with each other and how to become fast friends. Of course. So, like, you know, you've seen that many times since 1980. Mm. But the formula has been advanced and expanded upon. So, look, for me, it's it's going to be filler. I think there's a few clever things in it, but you can probably get that from the first 20 minutes. You don't need to watch another episode. And since they're not here, let's put words in Mike and Steve's mouths <laughs> and tell me what you think they might think of it. Because I, I, every time I hear anything that's got even vaguely historical references, I think maybe Mike would like this. But then if it's in any way not just like a straight up historical movie, he would find a reason to shit on it. So I could see him maybe hating this is my guess. Let's play this new game that's called Mike and Steve Roulette, <laughs> where we decide if they like shows or not. Well, Steve suggested that I put this on the list. This was my pick. Mm-hmm. And when I read the description, I went, actually, that sounds kind of quirky and interesting. Yeah. Let's see how it plays out. And because Steve is such a concept guy, I think he would probably like this. Yeah, that's But true. No, doubt, no doubt he'll tell us next week. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were telling me that they were overdubbing it, I thought that that was like what the show was trying to do. But I didn't realize that the show was about people doing that. 
like Channing Tatum and John Ronson present the show as if it were an actual influential Romanian television show from the 1980s. I'm reading from Wikipedia here. Okay, well, so that's what I didn't know, whether it was for real a TV show from the 80s or not. So you're saying it's not. Well, they're saying they present the show as if it were an actual influential television show. So it sounds like, no, they're kind of in on the joke. Okay. So that's Comrade Detective. Interesting. And then we come to Swedish Dicks, which you put on the list, Shona, and then come up with some (laughs) flimsy excuses for not having watched. So Swedish Dicks tells the story of a Swedish private eye, hence the name, uh, working in the States, and how he meets up with his also Swedish and soon-to-be partner. So, so The only question that matters here, Mark, is do you like Swedish dicks? <laughs> <laughs> I did not mind this show, but um, I don't think that I could say yes to that. <laughs> so Peter Stormare is the lead in this, and you'll remember him as... The the Russian cosmonaut in Armageddon. I don't remember that guy at all. American components, Russian components, all made in Taiwan. <laughs> no? That's a good accent. Well, that's him anyway. Okay. Right? And he's actually using the same Russian accent, even though he's Swedish. And they regularly switch to talking in Swedish. Okay, so there's subtitles. Yeah, oh. yeah, there is, yeah. Mark, you know, that not was just not a lot. Just for you, Mark. Not a lot. It's it's more kind of a comedy gimmick that they switch to subtitles every oh, okay. now and again. So it's it's funny and it is um like you're kind of getting a voiceover from Peter Stormare through it that isn't too heavy handed and does add some comedy to it. I think Stormare himself is quite good in it, but it's it, it was a bit tired up until he met um his soon to be partner. Right. Uh, the DJ, and he's played by, is it Johan Glanz, I think? Um, and when they're on screen together, I'll check that name now. Yeah, I think that's his name. Yeah. When they're together, it's an awful lot better. Okay. And it reminded me a lot of, what was that one with Russell Crowe and uh, uh, Ryan Gosling? Do you ever watch it? The Something Guys? Nice Guys? Yeah, the nice guys. So you've got Ryan Gosling, who's this soft kind of comedic add-on to the hard-nosed Crow's character who's, you know, cynical and bitter and beaten down. Right. So it's a little bit like that. Okay. It's, it, it is different though. It's, it's, it, they're very different things, but there's, there are elements in the characters that are similar with Russell's and, and Ryan's characters from that movie. Mm-hmm. So, so then it kind of gets going when they're together and, it is quite funny. So what's the it's plot co- about? Well, he's a detective. It's going to be a case of the week from the looks of things. It's okay. going to be a case of the week procedural. And he, he gets hired this week to find a laptop that was stolen from a DJ. All right. And with hilarious consequences. <laughs> so and I, I imagine that's how it's just going to go. And like it, the comedy works. It took me about five minutes to actually start laughing because I was looking at Peter Stormare just going, you're not funny, like, stop it. Like it's not a character you used to see him play. Yeah, yeah. And then, then you forget about that and it, it gets funny. And then, like I said, when the the other Swede gets on, on screen, it's funnier again. So it is funny. It's it's just not funny enough for me to dedicate half an hour a week to it. Right. But it's, it is a good show. So it, it kind of behooves us to mention that this came out last year. Right. Um, it came out on some 
direct TV um, type. And it's being re-released on cable this year. And it has been greenlit for a second season, which is why we thought it was worth having a chat about it on here. So you'll probably be able to find the first season of it pretty easily um, through some of your, your media outlets. Okay, so it's, but, not, it's um, not a and remake. Be a second it's just season it, along on its heels. It's not a remake, it's just that it's been re-released this year because perhaps it's been greenlit for the second season? Well, Steve did no research before he asked <laughs> you to put this on the list. Right. He just felt he just felt like because this was being touted as being released that it was new. Right. Would and then know? I was going, I don't see where this is released because I think <laughs> uh, Steve Steve has a habit of saying it's on Netflix whenever it appears on the Metacritic streaming. Right. This list, but a lot of the time those shows aren't on Netflix; they're on Amazon or on, or on Hulu <laughs> or on something else. So invariably, I go on Netflix. Yes, this is aimed at you, Mister Wrigley. I go on. Ne- <laughs> I go on Netflix. Look for the thing Steve has said is on Netflix, and it's nowhere to be found. So then Aww. I get lumped researching where the bloody thing is. Oh, Steve! And since so Steve isn't here, let's just be honest. He also ruins Christmas for children around the world regularly, just for fun, and does loads of other horrible things. So I went and researched it and found out what I've just told our listeners there that this came out in 2016, but was basically dressed up and repackaged and sent out to a new audience this year and is, is going to get another season. So so while this was strong and funny, and I think the chemistry with the with the duo is good, it's filler for me. It's just not good enough. Okay. Maybe worth watching the pilot, though, if people are bored one day and they come across it. Yeah, I th- you wouldn't be wasting your time. Yeah. Well, it's only you waste your time, but uh, it's just not enough for me to watch another one. So Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to like, have a look up of this show, I think, and have a... Um have a glance. It sounds like it could be interesting and I kind of like quirky comedies, so it's possibly something that's up my street. I may like Swedish dicks. I don't know. (laughs) I have to to go do some research and I'll I'll let you know. So why not tell us about Icarus, our movie for this week, Shona? So Icarus is a documentary that's just been released um, by Netflix. Uh, For realsies, this is on Netflix. Um, And it's um, a sports documentary about doping in cycling. But I think what makes this documentary stand out um, from all of the other kind of Lance Armstrong coverage is that um, it begins with the director who himself is a, an amateur biking, enthousi- biking, cycling enthusiast. He wants to go on a doping program um, that is similar to what the dopers who got caught have been on um and his goal is to take a full doping uh regimen and pass the doping tests so he finds contacts um within wada and um in russia who help put him onto a doping program so that he can race uh in this uh crazy hard amateur bike race um being you know totally out about doping and uh be able to pass the doping tests but um everything takes a turn and uh, the documentary plays out like a thrilling movie yeah that that is icarus so it was funny cuz it's it is very much a movie of two halves yes um, the film that he started 
to make. Um, and he was using a Russian contact to um, help him with his dope. And as you said, Shona, mm-hmm. turned out to be at the center of a much, much bigger scandal and a much more interesting documentary. Yeah. But to be honest, for someone who cares not a jot for current affairs, I found him doping and trying to improve his cycling performance and documenting how he evaded the tests, I found that more interesting. I think you're right. And I think and that's, because, yeah, I think he would have focused on that in his editing of the documentary if everything else hadn't gone to shit. But I think him, like, taking the testosterone at, you know, even just getting tips on, like, how to inject it, where to inject it, how um, thick the the testosterone is and how thick the needle has to be, all that stuff is the interesting stuff. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And because, like I've said that it's it's a documentary of two halves, it actually feels very much like this. It's like we're set up for one story, we start getting invested in it, and then they kind of go, right, we're not doing that now. And that was, a, that I didn't like that. Now, this, the story that they do tell is very interesting. And the human cost, the consequences of, of what happens is, it makes it emotionally investing. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't the story they told me they were going to tell. And I, I don't know if I actually got over that over the course really? of the movie. So in terms of the editing style, they had a so-so amount of footage for the second half. They had a lot at the start. But once they got to you know dealing with the, the Russian controversy, they actually did a really clever thing and they used... Um, when there was, like, they had audio but not video, they put a lot of, um, I don't know how to describe it really, animations. animations. Yeah, yeah, animations over the top of it that were really good. Yeah. And I, I was watching this, appreciating the style of it. Yeah. And it actually meant that it, rather than being bored by just listening to someone with no picture, it kept you invested because there was something moving in front of you all the time. Yeah, and I think critically it also explained things more clearly than it would have had it just been a video of a guy explaining, you know, how they um, swapped in or out the the urine samples, for example. Um, Because if you're just using the audio, then you can use the visual aspect to create an animation that shows a map and the, the path that the drug carts would take or that the urine carts would take. So... I think I I agree with you. It, it adds a lot more by kind of using different visual styles. I mean, it comes off as being really slick. Um, yeah. Because the animations are pretty cool. Like there's there's one scene of uh, the Russian guy talking about how he was um, in a psychiatric ward and the animation was kind of a man sitting in a corner with like moose antlers on his head and it was just really effective. Yeah. Yeah, wearing a straitjacket. It was it was really good. Yeah. That that was exactly the part that I was thinking of. Yeah. When I was talking about the animations. I think Brian Fogel, who is the guy at the center of this documentary, mm-hmm. um what was the Russian guy's name? Nick Nikolai, is it? I don't or, know. Just start with a G. Anyway, Brian was really lucky that he came across such a likable partner. Yeah. Yeah, cause because 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 that was a lot of it. Very animated and very uh, had a lot of personality. So anytime he was on screen, he was really. I mean, he was almost kind of hamming it up a bit, you know. But maybe that's his personality. Yeah, it's Gregory Rochenko. Okay. So Gregory was. I was way off in guessing his name. By the way, <laughs> he's an incredibly likable man, and from the first Skype call they have, where they're talking about 
how he's what he actually wants him to do, like help him pass a doping test. Um, I was kind of going, this guy's a bit of bit of fun. Like this is it's going to be enjoyable watching these two collude. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that wasn't what happened. Well, it is and it isn't what happened. But um, I think if the if he'd had so, like, how lucky was Brian Fogel? That this controversy yeah. exploded with the man he was already paired up with at the epicenter of it. Yeah, that they already had a relationship that was kind of active while all this other shit hits the fan because it means he's right there with his cameras and everything's ready to go. So I've heard interviews of Brian Fogel where people asked him, I said, right, were you not tempted to just stop what you were doing and go completely investigative journalist and start interrogating this guy and just make something, make a story or make a documentary or something that was different? Right. And uh, he said, well, of course I was. Uh, but in the end, I felt that all I could do was just be a friend to him at a time when he didn't have any friends. And uh, that definitely came across. Yeah. And ultimately, I think um, that, you know, I guess he didn't know that the, va- the value that that friendship would have in the long run. Mm-hmm. But it was very, very high. And that, like this is this goes towards the, the emotional uh, or the the real life impact that this story had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but here's my problem, right? <laughs> this is the problem I have. Uh, uh, Sean, you probably have more you want to say about this because I'm getting close to winding up on it there. Yeah, okay. So I think I liked this movie a lot more than you did um, because it totally blew my mind. Not only for the fact, okay, so what? Will I, I'll start with what I liked uh, was the first half. Um, I think it does a really good job of pulling you in because there's an introduction about um, it shows him doing this amateur race that's like uh, he said it's like the Tour de France but it's all seven stages kind of put together at once and it's just like insane in terms of the tax on your body and on your mind and there's footage of him doing it and um, he places 14th Um, but it just shows him at one point like sitting like in a shop on the road en route I suppose to you know, during the the race, and he just looks like a broken man. He's just so physically and mentally completely exhausted. Um, and it starts there by saying, you know, he, he there were kind of three groups of uh, of people in front of him. There was the top ten who were untouchable, and then there was kind of the four in front of him who he was racing against. And then you know he came in um, at at fourteenth, and then there was you know several hundred people behind him. So he wants to start looking into doing a doping program. And I like I think that right away hooked me that this guy wanted to use himself as uh as a test subject and just like start injecting himself with all these drugs. And then when you see like when it gets into people and he's he's working with people in WADA, like the World Anti Doping Agency and um doctors who would be involved with like supreme athletes and, and their regimens. Um and just seeing the type of like doping schedule that he's got to be on, like he he can't get over sometimes the amount of drugs he has to take, and you see like all of these needles in his house because he's having to constantly inject things, and he he I, I think it's really um, effective even just seeing like the stuff he's injecting, like the testosterone and how thick it is and how thick the needle has to be in order to be able to draw it down. And, you know, he's told by one doctor to inject into his thigh, but then, you know, um, Gregory in Russia is telling him, like, don't mess with your thigh muscle, do it into your butt instead. And all that stuff was just really fascinating. And then you see him kind of doing all of his training and and checking his oxygen levels and his power levels and his speed. Um, 
and he's working up to this race, and the expectation, I think, is going to be that he's going to slam it, and he's going to be you know, coming in first. Um, but the movie starts to take, like you said, Mark, starts to take it this different direction. And it's really interesting looking into the history of Gregory and where he came into sports in Russia. Um, and I suppose that's maybe where you and I differ in terms of our personal tastes um, in these type of films. Where, like, I, I, actually, I found it quite interesting seeing in particular with russia like the history um they have uh in performance and sports but also like putin and his whole administration um and the pressure that's put on athletes to be top performers um and to be um not only registering on the world stage but really kind of at the forefront of it and that putin wants that happening at any cost so he has you know, men in ministry positions who are essentially like sponsoring these doping programs across Russian athletes, across all of the, you know, the disciplines that they're racing in. Um, so it, when it starts exploring, when the documentary kind of starts to veer off in that other direction and starts to explore the history of Russia and doping and its sports, um, I found that part really interesting as well, especially considering it had real life implications on Gregory while. Brian is filming this documentary with him. Um, so I was totally captivated from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. And I have to say, like, it's one, it's one of the best sports documentaries I think I've ever seen. It's just, it, it, it feels like you're watching a movie, like this was scripted. You know, it's so interesting. And even, like, the music um, that Brian put in in editing when there are, you know, tense scenes happening, it all really adds up to, like... a a story that has a definite narrative and it has a point to tell and it tells you when to feel nervous and um, all of the kind of cues that you would get from watching like a movie, a fictional movie, um, you're getting from a documentary. So there's a bit of added thrill just because, you know, it's, it's, you know, real life. So yeah, I was really impressed by it. Yeah. I can't disagree with anything you've said there. It's, it's like, I just felt a bit cheated because seeing such a close-up documentary on someone juicing, yeah, I found incredibly interesting. I found the globally affecting <laughs> documentary that came after that in the second half less interesting. But the way that it's put together, though, was really brilliant. Like when they, they talked about some of the logistics later on in the film, there's a couple of scenes there that you, you couldn't turn away because they made it all seem so interesting when in fact yeah. it's not, it's not really. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, um, they, they, I think the brain did an amazing job. Like uh, for cinematography, it's, it's one of the most skilled uh, documentaries I've seen. Like it is probably up there with Senna, which mm-hmm. would have been my favorite one yeah. probably to date, I would say. It reminded me a lot of, of Generation Iron which is a bodybuilding movie. Right. You've talked um, about it a few times, I think. Yeah. And Generation Iron 2 is out now and I'm, I'm trying to get, get through it. But uh, Generation Iron 2 features my man crush, Callum Van Moger. <laughs> so I don't want to use it all up at once. Okay. I want to space it out. Okay. <laughs> as long as I can. <laughs> and uh, like I watched Generation Iron a bunch of times and they talk about steroid use and that a lot. But there's there's definitely like there's definitely scope for somebody to do a documentary on somebody in sports juicing. Yeah. And yeah. Brian took the, um, the approach of showing how the test can be beaten. I think they should do it in somewhere like pro bodybuilding where there are no tests. 
and just show what's nah. Wow. What's the what's the point? <laughs> um so they show where like steroids are just par for the course, like in the same way that bikes have wheels on them, bodybuilders have steroids in them. Really? Oh yeah, but you you, you don't I look like you, that. That's not natural. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That would be really like I would like to watch that type of documentary when when the subjects are kind of the the, the tests as well. Like I I would I would be curious for Brian after he finishes his program. Like, is there a come down from all of those hormones that he was injecting or does he have to taper it off? Does he have side effects? Like, is there crazy constipation or like <laughs> sexcapades? You know, like what happens? Well, the big, what happens the, with the all big, that testosterone? Well, the big one for test is that you don't kill your body's ability to make its own. Okay. Because when you start injecting testosterone, your body chills and goes, well, I don't need to do anything. Okay. But... Brian wouldn't have been at risk from that because he was on a program devised by someone that knows it better than anybody else in the world. Right. But like the people who wind up in trouble with that are the amateurs in the gym that bought a few vials of testosterone from a buddy. Right. And think they know what they're doing. Don't really know what they're doing and wind up killing their body's natural testosterone production. And it can happen. I don't, I know, I don't know. I don't know that much about steroids. I know that that's the main risk like that and man boobs. Yeah, the problems, but uh, apparently it's 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 a potential side effect, and that's more those those kind of hormone table fluctuations and problems with eventual hormone production after you've stopped are the real risks of steroids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like your heart's suddenly exploding, right? Which is what the, the media would have you believe. Like, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so. So I think it, you what, did. You did like it more than me, but I, I don't think it's fair to say that I didn't like it. I, no, I, I found it very hard to turn away. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really captivating. It's definitely a, um, a movie of two parts, and I think yeah, I'd agree with you that the first half is more interesting. But I was still totally pulled in um, for the second part, and even up to the very end, and even now, it's just like whoa, and I, I want to go read up on the people who featured in the documentary and kind of see is there updated information on where the documentary leaves off um but i do yeah i know know what you mean yeah i I do wish like you said uh that there was maybe more focus or they got to finish making the movie that they started out making um and that they could have delved a bit deeper into like all the drugs that he was taking and then also i think into um kind of the scheming that he has to do in order to get tested to see if he would pass um the water tests because those like that's not like you can just submit a sample and be like please test me and let me know if theoretically i would pass or fail these tests it's not as easy as um just doing a practice run i mean even getting tested by water standards he had to i'm assuming break the law they certainly were very secretive about it and you have to have people who are um at an institutional level um comfortable with and able to um, exploit and deceive uh, very strict protocols and that part was very interesting as well and the animation came in really handy I think when yeah. um, it explained how some the logistics of, of it all yeah, yeah of some things that have um, that happened in Russia and I suppose this is a debate that comes up a lot on our podcast about whether or not you can spoil history so I will err on your side since we're the one having the discussion 
of uh, not spoiling history for people who maybe aren't familiar with um, Russia and its history with doping scandal. But it was really interesting to see uh, a bit of history into like the light shone from somebody who knew firsthand about um, Russia's involvement with uh, like statewide sponsored doping programs. Really, really interesting. My, my knowledge of doping in Russia comes from what was done to Ivan Drago in Rocky Four. <laughs> so, like, you guys completely spoiled everything that happened in the documentary we watched last week. Um, and because I wasn't on, there was nobody there to go, hold on a minute, we're spoiling. <laughs> You're all just going, no, this is current affairs. Like, we all know current affairs. We, like, watch the news and stuff. And then we talk to our friends about, like, socioeconomic development and, and things like that. And, like, the gross national debt and how we're all worried about inflation. Do we all develop you know? British accents? Posh yeah, you always, you always do. It's so weird. <laughs> so, um, well, I remember, I, I remember Russia being banned from the Olympics because of a doping scandal. I mean, I remember that. Was that. A, that was a spoiler for me, like. Was it? Yeah. Had, had I not just watched the documentary, I wouldn't have known that. Okay. Okay. Well, that. So that just shows you how thick the walls of the bubble I live in are. <laughs> I will say, if you didn't know that, it does not spoil. Um, the documentary. There are no. There are. There's more to come. I mean, that's kind of just the backdrop to what develops in the second part of the documentary. So, um, yeah. if you weren't aware of that, it's not a spoiler, but um, it does. It's motivation. It's what it is. It's motivation <laughs> to watch it. It is. Yeah. Go. Go watch the documentary. It's on Netflix, so you probably already have it. Sit down and just turn it on, um, and tell me if you can't look away. It's just uh, really captivating. It is fairly compulsive viewing, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. So I think I, so, I think we're ready to rate it. Yeah. What do you give it, Shona? I really liked this. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. It's a 7 for me. Okay. So, so it's, it's quite scores. close to an 8. Yeah. But um, I feel like it would be better had Brian Fogel developed superpowers <laughs> early in the movie. Right. And then he could have accomplished, you know, global changes through mm -hmm. use of said superpowers. <laughs> I would but have liked him to go from being like um, Spider-Man before he's Spider-Man. He's not Clark Kent. Who's that guy? The nerd. Peter Parker. Peter God Parker. help us all. <coughs> I would have liked if he had turned from like Peter Parker into the Hulk or something from all of the, the drugs that he was on. I wanted more, better, more yeah. drugs. The solution, <laughs> the cause of and solution to most of life's problems is more drugs. Exactly. Okay, well, I think that's that's all we've got for you this week. It's, it's a, we've pulled all the opinions we could find out of the bag. That's feels like an abbreviated show because we're missing um, the very learned and auspicious opinions of Steve and Mike. <laughs> but, you know, you get what you pay for. And this podcast <laughs> is free. So this week you've just got me and Shona. <laughs> Hey, don't undersell me, man. Come on. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And from Mark and Shona, stay classy. <laughs>